We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> you talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. think that, uh, again, this team isn't expected to do anything by what the critics say, by what um, people around the league say, but and I've, I've been in the league going on my sixth year, and I know, you know, there's like a feeling you get about certain types of teams, and uh, this team has that feeling. Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. Wow. <laughs> the wow. game just ended. Wow. Sacramento Kings go down against the Phoenix Suns in the home opener and I am I'm I'm almost at a loss of words, which is a bad thing when you're recording a podcast, but uh, <laughs> Sam, what did you think? That was amazing. I'm kind of at a loss for words too. It's <laughs> the Kings put up a really good fight. Uh, and and we're in the lead after the first half and this looked like it was going to be a kind of tough game for the Suns to win but you know things that we considered to be strengths for the Kings the Suns did a fantastic job of mitigating those strengths tonight and um this Mike like this was not a game where Devin Booker put the team on his back this was a phenomenal team performance offensively defensively and we have a lot to unpack here yeah, and I think there's so many reasons to be excited about this game, but I think, just like you said, what the Kings were good at, the Suns were able to 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 really stop them in, in, in their strengths. But also, I think it's important to, to point out, what the Kings are good at is what the Suns were bad at stopping last year. You know, hitting three-pointers, uh, transition defense, that, that kind of thing is what they were really bad at last year. And the fact that they were able to kind of limit them as much as possible in those areas, they won the uh, the actual battle for fast break points. I mean, that's something that I didn't expect at all. Even in, in like a best case scenario in my mind, the Suns maybe would not win that battle, but maybe hold the Kings to a lower amount. Uh, but really, they looked like they were doing a really good job slowing them down. They played like they had a game plan. And, and maybe that's what it's like to have rook- non-rookies on the team, you know, actual veterans playing minutes. They they look like they have a plan going into the game. Uh, but it looked a lot more, it looks a lot more like a basketball team now, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it all starts with Ricky Rubio. You know, if you just look at the box score, let me pull up the box score real quick. His numbers don't necessarily, well, uh, they almost do pop off the page. I mean, he had a double-double, 11 points and 11 assists. He had four steals. Uh, But the defense, stopping De'Aaron Fox was the main priority for Phoenix. I know Buddy Heald went off in the first half, and he's a phenomenal shooter, so that's going to happen. But Fox finished 3-for-7 shooting on the entire night with only 8 points. He had 5 turnovers. Part of that is because the Suns got him in foul trouble, but Ricky Rubio was 
incredibly energetic on defense. He had four steals, but it's not just about the steals. The constant pressure that he was putting uh, on Fox, playing the passing lanes, he did not look like a 29-year-old veteran point guard. I mean, he looked like a veteran point guard, but he didn't look like a point guard who some people perceive to be past their uh, physical prime. He didn't look like someone who was... No, he didn't look old. He didn't look like he was lacking in energy at all. He brought it and really set the tone for the rest of the team. Uh, So a fantastic debut, first of all, for him tonight. Yeah, and you say that the the Suns got De'Aaron Fox in foul trouble. It really was Ricky Rubio that got him in foul trouble. Ricky Rubio, what what I thought was incredible about watching an entire game with Ricky Rubio, now we had some preseason games that we watched previously, but uh, as you know, they're, they're working on specific things in the preseason. The guys don't play their normal amount of minutes in the preseason, so we don't really get to see a full game of what these guys are like when they're actually trying to control the game. And to see Ricky Rubio in an entire game really made you realize that he's just so good at all those veteran tricks that you need in order to stay in the NBA, which maybe should be obvious, but it's nice to actually see it happen. And what I mean by that is uh, really catching guys off guard constantly. The the point five offense, right? Catching and, and making decisions really quickly. Rubio does that, and that's kind of what he does automatically. He didn't need to come to this team to do that, and it's kind of what Utah did last year anyway, so it's a nice transition for him. But catching the defense off guard, getting into the paint, really dropping his shoulder into guys and making sure that he gets those fouls when when they're out of position, that's the type of thing that veteran point guards need to do on a regular basis. But also, something I tweeted about was how much Ricky Rubio was just around the ball anytime there was a live ball. If it was bouncing off the rim, if he wasn't getting the rebound, he was stopping someone from getting the rebound by poking it out of their hands. He was able to get on the ball on some steals. Just like you said, he had four steals in this game. Um, you know, everyone in the starting lineup had a steal, which is, I don't feel like I've seen that in a, in a long time uh, with this team either. But, you know, I, I really found myself appreciating the stabilizing presence of Ricky Rubio, which I guess is what we predicted, but it's nice to see it in action. It is what we predicted, but like, frankly, when we did our Over Under podcast, you know, I went on the record saying I didn't see Rubio having like a 9-10 assist per game season. Then he comes out in game one and has 11 assists because to bring it back to his offense for a second, his defense was amazing too. His penetration on offense was relentless. Yes, and I think exactly. I think it was surprising, almost shocking for Suns fans, at least for me, to see in the first half because Devin Booker, I think, finished with maybe five or six field goal attempts at halftime. And he was really not heavily involved in the offense because it was so much of Ricky Rubio. And that wasn't a bad thing necessarily because the Suns were still in the game in the first half and they just hadn't started hitting their shots yet. Uh, But it was just shocking. To, to, to see the offense sort of rely on that. And now, you know, I don't want to make any overreactions based on one game, but Rubio definitely, at least in this first game, played a much heavier role than I expected him to. And, you know, if you follow a game on Twitter, if you follow a game on Reddit, there's so many overreactions like a minute-by-minute minute basis or a quarter-by-quarter yeah. quarter basis. And yeah. I think what we've been begging for from Devin Booker this entire the entire time he's been on the Phoenix Suns is help. This man needs help. He needs other players around him so that he doesn't have to carry the entire burden by himself. Well, this is what that looks like. It means that he doesn't have to score 35 points for them to win. It means that he can get 10 assists. And it means that he can end the first half with five field goal attempts and the Suns can still score 124 points at the end of a game. This is what it looks like when he has help. I think it's easy to overreact and say, I want to see that Booker that we got used to. But the fact that he does not have to do that to win is what's vital for this team to succeed. So I think it's easy for people to kind of overreact on a minute-by-minute basis. But by the end of the game, he still ended up with 22 points. He had, I think he had seven assists before he had a single turnover. Yeah, because I was going to say, Booker is such a microwave. We saw it in the third and fourth quarter that once he gets hot, he's still going to have a three to four possession swing where the ball goes into his hands. Once he makes a couple of shots, his teammates know to find him. And he had a play, I don't even remember if it was late third quarter, early fourth quarter at this point, but he took a three from, from several feet behind the three-point line once he was feeling himself and you know I think he started maybe the fourth quarter with around 13 points he finished with 22 in addition to involving other players uh in the in the flow of the offense I mean DeAndre Aiden finished with 18 points 14 field goal attempts and zero free throw attempts if DeAndre was just able to get to the line a few times (laughs) we would potentially that that's not I'm not trying to dwell on the negative there but I'm saying if DeAndre got to the free throw line a few times you're potentially talking about a 25 point performance there for the second year 
your big man. Absolutely no Suns fans can complain about Aiton's uh, role in the Suns offense like they did with Igor last year, no. just based uh-huh. on tonight. Because both Rubio uh, and Booker did a, did a great job of involving him. So that was, that was awesome to see as well. I think it's an interesting thing with DeAndre and For all he's said in the offseason about uh, grabbing the ball off rebounds and dribbling it down the court, uh, taking more three-pointers and all of that, and then our criticism of him for not uh, shooting any free throws in the preseason. He had no three-point attempts. He had no free throw attempts. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't once grab the ball off the rebound and dribble it down the court, yeah. and yet he was fantastic in this game. But- he had 18 points. He had... Uh, 11 rebounds, a double-double for... Three double-doubles for our three best players on this team, by the way. Uh, he was 9 for 14 for his field goal percentage. And more than any of that, because that's... Uh, to me, that's almost expected out of him at this mm-hmm. point. But more than any of that, he was playing defense in a way that he was sacrificing his body to actually contest shots. That's the most important thing. I had a thread about it on Twitter. A lot of people saw it. Uh, he shies away from contact and that causes him to foul sometimes and uh in this game he was taking the contact right in his chest and he was contesting shots without fouling and to me that was vital that's vital as we talked about it for this team going forward and i was really impressed with him tonight obviously this is one game and and for the record for everyone listening to this we know this is one game (laughs) we know that this is all something to build off of but give us a chance to at least talk about this game before we move on to the next one and I was really impressed. As long as you're mentioning that, I just want to get this out of the way now uh, about the one game thing. So, so guys, like I recognize we did an emergency podcast last year after the Suns won by 21 in Igor Kokoshkov's first game. Uh, I think it's natural to make those comparisons if you're a little bit more on the pessimistic side right now. But I just want to argue out why uh, I think you should be a lot more excited for the Suns based on this game than in that game. This game, it took the Suns until the second half to be able to hit any three-pointers at all. And even when they finished the game, they shot a respectable but not a very good 33% from deep. They were not relying on their shooting. In the game last year, if you go back and look at that box score, they relied on their three-point shooting, an unusually hot night where guys like Trevor Reza and Ryan Anderson, who who proceeded to have really, really bad seasons, uh, just shot really well. And that came, the Suns shot 56% from deep and that's what it took to beat dallas now if you transition and look over to this game what did they do right that they did right last year some some of the same stuff i mean the assist to turnover ratio was great in this game the suns finished with 31 assists to 14 turnovers flow the offense looked fantastic but most importantly they weren't relying on the three-point shooting they were relying on effort on defense from players that we haven't seen effort from before exactly Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, primarily. I mean, I, I praised Rubio. Rubio was great. Uh, Kelly Oubre, I thought, was basically laying an egg on offense in the first half, but entirely made up for that with his fantastic defensive performance and also made up for it with his offense in the second half. But right. primarily, Booker and Ayton both looked great on defense tonight. They just put in the effort. And it makes mm-hmm. you question, like, you know, why maybe that didn't happen before if if these are two guys who have ha- had the tools to do it all along. But something just clicked tonight where I'm well, willing to go out on a limb and say this was the best joint defensive effort we've ever seen from those two players. Absolutely. I 100% agree, agree with that. Maybe uh, save for, like, a Milwaukee Bucks game uh, last season, one of those two games where they won, uh, maybe you could look at that as, as, as another great defensive effort. But I, I think this was better because, I, I mean, just, just statistically, this was the most blocks that DeAndre Ayton has ever had in a game. I mean, so for that alone, he blocked more shots than he ever has for the Phoenix Suns with four blocks in this game. And if a couple of them on his old high school teammate, Marvin Bagley, the number two pick in the draft. And more than anything else, I think for that matchup, those two guys, uh, DeAndre Ayton really showed out. I think he really showed why he was the number one pick in this game. And interestingly, just to talk about it, actually, we can start just kind of breaking down the game uh, as we watched it first quarter on. To start the game, uh, DeAndre Ayton was guarding Marvin Bagley and... uh, Dario Saric was actually guard, guarding Dwayne Dedman, which I think makes a lot of sense because what DeAndre Ayton is good at is sort of moving his feet and, and, and sort of catching guys off guard. And he's good at the perimeter thing. And what Marvin Bagley is basically good at is catching the ball at the perimeter and attacking off the perimeter. And obviously he's a pick and roll guy. Obviously he can get the ball underneath and score, but that's not really how they use him. And I thought that was a really smart move by Monty just putting, uh, 
DeAndre Ayton in, in a position to, to succeed. And also, as we know with DeAndre Ayton, motivation has to be there. I think a big part of why they were successful against the Bucks was because he was guarding the MVP. And a big reason why they beat the Lakers last season is because he was guarding LeBron James. He has to feel motivated and guarding Marvin Bagley is something that motivates him. He wants to beat (laughs) Marvin Bagley as much as possible. So I thought that was smart. But the game started and Dario Saric was the guy getting open a lot to start the game. I think with the gravity of DeAndre Ayton on the roll and just the ability of Ricky Rubio to find those guys. And there was just a lot of missed shots to start this game. And normally, I think with last season, you just say, oh, no, this is going to be bad because they didn't have the ability of digging deep and defending well enough uh, to beat back on that. But how did you feel about uh, Monty Williams just in general in this game, but also maybe some some things about his rotations? What did you think about that? I thought the rotations were pretty good. I mean, it's, it's tough to say for sure. Because, okay, so we have a whole problem here that Ty Jerome and Cam Johnson both didn't play. Right. What I was thinking True. in the first half, actually, was that I have no um, reservations about Dario Saric and Frank Kaminsky. They combined one for seven right. from deep in this right. game, but they were getting open looks. They usually hit yeah. those looks. They're both veteran players. I was right. thinking in the first half, though, wow, Cam Johnson might actually look good in these backup four minutes right now. Because <laughs> if you just need to inject some shooting into this team... Um, yeah. He he really could have helped with that. Uh, but then I thought all of the rotations were, were fairly good. I mean, I think one of the biggest advantages you have is that even if you want to play a pure bench unit, which is what Monty originally did when he took the starters out in the first quarter, like he did a full platoon swap, took out Sarge and Aiton at the same time, brought in Kaminsky and Baines. What that does, it not only provides you spacing that we talked about, even if those two guys weren't hitting their threes tonight, although Baines did hit one later in the game, you get absolutely no drop-off in playmaking. Like, right. I, you know, one of the first things I noticed when that unit came in is even if they weren't dominating the Kings, there's this play uh, late in the first quarter, you had Baines with a pretty drop-off pass to Kaminsky, almost you yeah. know executed down low, almost like a pick-and-roll. I forget who made the entry pass, but just their ability to make plays for each other. You have yeah. an entire bench unit where you bring in Javon Carter, and it's only going to get better when you bring in Ty Jerome at point guard. But for now, it was Javon Carter, Tyler Johnson, Mikhail Bridges, Frank Kaminsky, Aaron Baines, all five of those guys. Uh, are willing to move the ball and in fact I look at this entire roster right now and he had for the most part a good game tonight but there's still only one player on this roster who I have some concerns about being able to to play as part of a team and move the ball and you know who I'm talking about but even he had a good game tonight and it worked out in the end so overall um I thought Monty's rotations were good uh and and I thought Rubio and Booker maybe looked a little bit awkward in those first six minutes or so, but they figured it out. You know, I don't necessarily think we have to be platooning them more frequently than necessary. Occasionally, it gives you some extra kick to your bench offense, but I think there's enough stability in those bench lineups already where guys like Tyler Johnson, he was really good tonight. He might be able to take some pressure off other players, and you really might be able to get an elevated effect out of playing Rubio and Booker together like we saw in the second half. Yeah, interestingly, Booker was the last starter in in the lineup. So he played a little bit with Javon Carter. There was a Kaminsky, Baines. Uh, they all played together. And I find I found myself thinking about uh, Cameron Johnson as well, especially in those minutes, because you, you kind of wonder um, if there's a scenario where Booker can be the point guard in those lineups and have just shooting around him and see see how that works. I think in this game, Javon Carter, although he played maybe a little too much minutes without either Booker or Rubio on the court, and that was really first half only, uh, I actually thought his ability to make De'Aaron Fox uncomfortable uh, after he already had two fouls was important to the game. Now, I don't think this is the type of thing that shows up in the box score at, at the end of the game, but when Javon Carter came into the game, De'Aaron Fox was a little off his game already because Rubio was doing all those vet tricks to him to make him uncomfortable. And then as soon as Javon Carter came in the game, he was covering him the entire floor, the one end of the floor to the other. So full court press on De'Aaron Fox with Javon Carter in the game. And I think that type of thing is, is it's a mental game, right? He, he's getting into his skin. It's Patrick Beverly. It's, you know, there's, there's a lot of guys like this. We used DeAnthony Melton like this last season uh, commonly. And, uh, you know, so there, there is a nice thing about having Javon Carter and being able to sort of deploy that uh, edge of the, the Swiss Army knife, if you will. Uh, whereas uh, Ty Jerome obviously has his benefits 
is not really capable of that. Jerome gets too close to Fox, and Fox is on the other side of him before he even knows it because he's just so damn fast. Uh, but I thought it was important for Javon Carter. It's interesting, and we don't really know, I think, what the lineups are going to look like, but I think there was a little bit more of that Devin Booker playing with the bench and Ricky Rubio playing with the starters and with DeAndre Ayton uh, you know, than we really anticipated. I guess we really didn't know. We definitely, we definitely did see a, a good amount of Devin Booker with the bench, but it worked because the bench has better shooters now. I mean, in the yeah. second half, and, and even in the first half when the shots weren't falling, the gravity was still there. Like, I was saying to myself, I was yelling at the TV as it was happening, I really did not mind Frank breaking some of the threes he did, or Dario breaking some of the threes he uh, he did. Sorry, he did, <laughs> because you mm-hmm. could see the spacing on the floor. You could see yeah. it uh, for all those other plays. But about Javon Carter, I thought he... Look, he's not going to shoot 60% from deep throughout the season, but I thought he looked fluid enough on offense that you go in expecting him to be a a pretty good defensive player, maybe not an elite defensive player, and then you take what—it's really just trying to factor in how much can you get out of him on offense, because that's really what you're trying to figure out, that equation of whether or not you play Ty as the backup point guard or Javon. Javon looked really fluid with uh, some of those step-backs, and obviously the threes fell tonight, and they're not always going to, Um, but I thought he he was very good overall. Yeah, Javon Carter, for the record, uh, last season, which was his only season in the yeah. NBA, he had 34 three-pointers for the entire season. Yeah. He had three tonight. So right. it, it's not exactly something that you can anticipate from him going forward. Uh, there is some belief that he's a better shooter, I think, than he showed last year. I think his overall field goal percentage was in the 30s um, last season. Not three-point percentage. I mean, field goal percentage was in the 30s last season. But uh, he didn't play a lot of minutes, and there's not a lot of time to really show what you're good at uh, as a rookie who's not playing a lot of minutes on a really bad team. Uh, so, you know, it's it's hard to really know what he can do. Of course, there's that famous game where he had eight threes, I think, the last game of the season, uh, last season, something like that. So he's capable of shooting, but this type of shooting, you can't really expect from him going forward. And I think Tyler Johnson was actually kind of interesting in this game, too. He only played 17 minutes, uh, and he had some interesting injuries uh, for the preseason. But I also think there's a chance that in certain games that Tyler Johnson can just come on and him and Devin Booker can successfully run an offense together mm-hmm. uh if if they really want to shorten the rotation a little more and you know like this is the kings now the kings were a relatively good team last year but you know they didn't even win 40 i think there were like 30 something games that they won last season so you know maybe against a better team maybe against a team like the warriors that has a lot of guard depth maybe you shorten that rotation a little bit and you really try to focus on uh vets but I think there's so many vets on this team now, it, it really felt like every time there was a change in the lineup, it was just another stabilizing player after another stabilizing player. It, you never felt like, oh no, Josh Jackson is in the game now. Yes. Or you yes. know, even DeAnthony Melton, oh no, who's going to run the offense? DeAnthony Melton's in the game now. It's just every single player that was checked into the game, there was a lot less fear of what they were going to do. Now, none of them are massive stars, but all of them are just good at basketball, and, and, and not a lot of them have these massive glaring holes in their game. Right. Higher floor, lower ceiling is basically what James Jones accomplished. I mean, that's what happens when you stop swinging on Marquise Chris's, on Dragon Benders, on Josh Jackson's, where the goal is to draft a superstar, and you just get some stabilizing players. Um, and the same applies for their draft strategy, too, with Cam Johnson and Ty Jerome. Uh, I want to bring it back to Tyler Johnson for just a second because yeah. I thought he was amazing for only yeah. playing 17 minutes. I re- I'm really excited to talk about him. Do you remember? It was either a week or two ago when I mentioned how quick his release looks. Like I, yes. I don't remember seeing if his release was always that quick. Well, Monty's yeah. taken notice of that too because on multiple occasions tonight, what he did with Tyler Johnson is to play him more like we predicted out of that backup shooting guard spot and running him in that backup shooting guard role Honestly, he was almost playing like Troy Daniels. Like what he would do is he would set a back screen on multiple occasions. I saw him do this, set a back screen down near the baseline, come and run off a pin down set by a big, you know, whether it be Saric or who have you, would catch at the top of the key, would have a contested look and fires off a very quick release, which very few players on this roster are capable of doing. Mm-hmm. But then you couple that, you know, so obviously he made those threes. That was really exciting to see. But then you couple that with his ability to come down the court a few possessions later. This was in the second half and take a pull up mid range jumper and be able to hit right. that as well. So stabilizing is, I think, the perfect word to describe someone like that. I mean, he's almost yeah. being used by Monty so far in this first game, kind of like a Devin Booker light. 
Yeah. And and I really mean a very light version of Devin Booker. <laughs> a, a very, very light version of Devin Booker. But it's it's something that you don't get out of Ricky Rubio. And you can see how putting Booker and Johnson together in some lineups could really play um, pay some dividends for the Suns. Because you have good shooting. Um, two guys who are capable of playing on ball, off ball. Uh, I would like to see the two of them pair together a little bit at least. Because uh, I thought Tyler looked just really good. Yeah, I agree. I mean, in 17 minutes, he had 10 points, uh, one block, two steals, two assists, two rebounds. I mean, he kind of filled up the box score in that short amount of minutes. And I think that's the type of thing that you kind of need him to do. But it's not really how he played in the past, uh, to your point. Uh, Oftentimes he was used, obviously he had to be used as a point guard with the Suns last season because we had none. Uh, Now we have three that seem like they're going to get minutes, plus uh, Devin Booker's upgraded playmaking. Now he can kind of be used as more of a weapon off ball, running off of screens, sprinting all over the court. He's another guy that just never stops moving, kind of like Ricky Rubio. Uh, defenders are always kind of uh, at his hip, if you will, as he goes around screens. And I was really impressed with him. Following a team you love in 2019 can be time consuming. Trying to follow everything happening in sports is almost impossible. Scrolling through every app, visiting every website on a daily basis is impossible. That's why I subscribe to Axios Sports, the best free daily newsletter in the land. Axios Sports is a modern sports page delivered directly to your email inbox. When you sign up for free at sports.axios.com, you'll get the best stories from the NBA and NFL to cricket and ping pong and everything in between. Axios Sports also highlights the most important stats and trends, giving you the ability to stay informed. It's super simple to sign up and it's free sports.axios.com not only will you be caught up you'll be the friend sharing an amazing link with your buddies join the 100,000 sports fans who get caught up on the day before it even begins and best of all there's no paywall no subscription fee nothing this is free curated sports content delivered directly to you sign up at sports.axios.com again try for free at sports.axios.com Indochino was founded on the belief that you don't need to spend a fortune on a custom wardrobe. It's impossible to look good in an ill-fitting suit. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more, and everything is made to your exact measurements for a great fit. The best part is that it's affordable. Almost all of their custom clothing is under $400. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com when entering Blue Wire at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code BLUEWIRE for $30 off your purchase of $399 or more. An incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You no longer have an excuse to wear clothing that doesn't fit. Let's talk about the starters. So in this game, they started who we expected them to start, uh, which was uh, Ricky Rubio, Devin Booker, uh, Kelly Oubre Jr., Dario Saric, and DeAndre Ayton. That starting lineup, I thought, looked pretty good. They didn't do a lot of what they did in the preseason, which is use the bigs as playmakers in the post. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot more ball movement at the top of the key, a lot of pick and rolls with Ricky Rubio and DeAndre. Not to, From what I could tell, not a lot with Dario Saric. Dario Saric was kind of an off-ball threat sure. uh, with a lot of those plays. And not, at least at the beginning of the game, not a lot with Devin Booker on the ball. He wasn't very involved in the first quarter. And, you know, uh, I said it on Twitter again, uh, but if you were wondering whether or not Devin Booker's remarks uh, were going to lead to him getting double teamed more, uh, it did. He was double teamed essentially on every play in the first half. Maybe that was related to those comments, or maybe it's just because the Suns, the game plan to beat the Suns in the past was easy. Stop Devin Booker, the Suns lose. And in this game, they doubled him on every play. He had to get rid of the ball a lot. That turned into assists over time. But at first, in in, in the beginning of the game, I thought it looked a little clunky. Uh, but what did you think of the starting lineup? It did look a little bit clunky, but uh, just about the Booker switching thing, I mean, I think that's still just the primary game plan to stop the Suns. Other teams are going to bank on, uh, they want Rubio to shoot. <laughs> you know, that's right. that's the one, and they want Rubio to shoot, they want Ubre to shoot. 
both of those guys. That's the right. one glaring weakness in the starting lineup, uh, especially until we can see Aiton prove that he can hit that three at a respectable rate, which, like you said, he didn't take any of those shots tonight, so he didn't see it. Uh, to a certain extent, they even want to dare Sarge to shoot because when they're doubling Booker, a lot of times that's the guy they're leaving open, and Sarge didn't make them pay for it tonight, although I think he yeah. will in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I thought the the general starting offense, the starting lineup offense was, like you said, not a ton of post playmaking. I almost thought it was more like Kakashkov-esque, uh, like yeah. lots of dribble handoffs at the top of the key, trying to generate switches. Uh, and, and I think that's a smart way to go about doing things when you have multiple playmakers. You're not going to run things necessarily. Uh, you're not going to run an ISO heavy offense. You're going to want to try to get switches when you have both Rubio and Booker at your disposal. Um so yeah, I mean, I thought I thought it worked pretty well. I thought the only thing that really frustrated me the first time, since I have to you know talk about one negative, the first time the starting lineup <laughs> was on the floor and throughout the first half was it's fine if Booker doesn't get the ball, it's fine if he only takes six shots at halftime, but not if that means that Kelly Oubre is taking stupid shots at his expense. Right. Um, and so that you know that was the only when I talked earlier, I, I think you knew who I was talking about. The one yeah. guy who needs to make plays for others is Kelly, and it worked out in the end because Kelly had a fantastic defensive game, and I want to give him credit for that. And he was really good in transition. And I think if right. this team is going to play fast, like Monty is saying, then Kelly yeah. Oubre is really going to be the guy who benefits from that. Because if we're talking purely right. about a half court offense, I don't fully know where kelly like i still can't tell where kelly fits into this team's sets because he's not a spot-up threat but he's also not you you would rather have booker attack than kelly attack he's just a more efficient player at doing the things that kelly also does so he's like a good tertiary option but he just doesn't necessarily optimize your offense in any way in the half court but then you get him out in transition and that's where he can really thrive and that's how he got his field goal percentage back up and got to the free throw line a few times and finished ultimately with 21 points so i still call this a good game from kelly Oubre. um but yeah he just needs to rotate the ball he like if he rotates the ball a little bit better he'll be fine yeah and i think if he rotates the ball a little bit better he can also find those back doors a little bit better uh, I think with the Suns, he didn't, you know, he didn't play with Ricky Rubio last year, and I think Ricky Rubio will be able to find him on those back doors a lot more than any player could previously. Devin Booker, for all of his, uh, you know, improvements in playmaking, he's still not really a guy that can hit those drop off passes to to backdoor cuts often. That's that's like a high level playmaking thing, and maybe he'll get there. But Ricky Rubio's there now. And I think Kelly Oubre can find his place there. But he was he was bad. I mean, truthfully, he was bad in the first half. And he yeah. was great in the second. But uh, I think you're right. And I think I talked about it last week on our last podcast. I still think there's a place for Kelly Oubre Jr. in this starting lineup because of his ability to accelerate and attack. And I think if you have a starting lineup the way we do right now, say you replace him with Mikhail Bridges, Yes, you get that boost defensively, but you don't really have what Kelly Oubre Jr. brings in that full court. Uh, just take off and go and attack a defender. It's not What's nice about Kelly Oubre Jr. is he doesn't just uh, get out in front of guys and score on the break. He can also attack a guy. He's got some moves. He's not afraid to take the contact. He has. He had a really nice Euro step today that I thought was really impressive. And, uh, you know, you, you need him to do that in order to be valuable in that starting lineup. And if he can't do that, and if he can't find ways to score easy buckets like that, there's really no reason to not have Mikhail Bridges in that starting lineup. So really, I think over time, that's he's going to find his place and find his role. I do think he is capable of handling the ball a little bit with pick and rolls. But last season, when he did that, the offense really did slow down. And it seems like that's something they're trying to avoid doing. So I would like to see them find ways to still give him the occasional pick and roll opportunity without slowing the offense down. So really drawing something up where he's capable of doing that a little more often because I think that's a that's something that he needs to get better at and it's something that he's already kind of good at. And if we can really develop that in him better, then I think he can find more opportunities as the ball handler. It's going to be an ongoing process for him. Like, you know, Booker, we talked about Booker's fit with Rubio. I'm not worried about Booker. Booker and Rubio are, are pros. They're veteran. I mean, they're all pros. But, but those those guys are in particular yeah. are veterans and very good There's, players. They're stars, kind of. They're stars. <laughs> they're they're going to yeah. figure it out. Um, I'm not worried about DeAndre Ayton. He's going to figure it out. Dario Saric, I think it's very clear where that guy fits into the offense. But with Kelly, it's like, 
So the Suns scored 27 points uh, on the fast break tonight. They pushed the pace. That's fantastic. I think they're going to try to keep doing that. But if there's a game where someone successfully slows them down and they're not capable of doing that, I could see Kelly's game being very hot and cold. Like he could have a game tonight. And and I don't even mean necessarily in terms of efficiency. I just mean in terms of volume. Like tonight he took 17 shots. But if you stop the Suns fast break and, and Kelly's not doing that, Maybe he only takes six or seven shots one game, and it's going to be hit or miss. He has to be okay with that. He has to be okay with that, but that's like just kind of what his role is in this offense now. Right. Like he's going to get his games with 20 points, uh, but sometimes it's not going to quite come in the flow of the offense also naturally, and he has to not force things. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think the other guy in the starting lineup that didn't start off too hot uh, was Dario Saric, and we talked a little bit about it. He was, he was the guy that was left open a lot in, in the first quarter and the second quarter, and he struggled to hit shots uh, from the three-point line. And I think with Dario Saric uh, particularly, his ability to hit that shot at early in the game will open up his game so much later in the game. Because what Dario is good at is attacking closeouts for big men. So if, if somebody's closing out on Dario Saric, he'll hit that pump fake, he'll get on the other side of him, and he has the ability of attacking the rim and, of course, finding guys. That's that's something that Dario's been known as a good passer, and he's capable of that. But I think there's something about just not hitting those shots early. When you don't really have a closeout, you're kind of taking part of Dario Saric's game away from him he needs to be capable of of pump faking and and getting on other on the other side of guys and and finding open guys so i think with him that shot's going to fall eventually but i i will be watching to see you know how he shoots in the first quarter and how that affects his game uh going forward i think there's no reason really to be worried about him he did relatively well on defense in this game as well yeah he's he's a rhythm shooter him and frank both and I think everything you said for Dario applies to Frank as well. Attacking closeouts is going to be important for him, too, coming off the bench. Um, and I think Monty really recognizes that both of those guys are playing a similar role on offense just by the confidence with which they take their shots. Like, both of them came in. Dario took a couple of threes that weren't even necessarily wide open uh, in in the first few minutes of the first quarter. And then Frank came in, his first stint off the bench, and he took a three pretty much instantly. Those guys know that that's what they're there to do. Yeah. Uh, and it didn't happen tonight, but it's going to happen on some other nights. And, and I'd be willing to bet that throughout uh, by the end of the season, it's going to average out to much better three point shooting than the Suns had from their power forward position last year. The the other thing I want to mention is like, so they didn't win the game based on three point shooting like they did last year against Dallas. That doesn't mean that they lost the game on three point or sorry, that they, that they had poor three point shooting either. Like this was the team that finished dead last in both rebounding and three point shooting going into uh, going into this season and again i just sorry just have to pull up the box score but they finished with nine offensive rebounds the kings had 12 the the suns technically did get out rebounded by three rebounds there um but uh, three-point shooting the kings shot 34 percent from three the Suns shot 33 percent from three like i don't right. necessarily expect the suns to be elite in either of those areas, but it's very clear already that they made incremental improvements to both of those things with the guys they brought in in their front court between Baines, uh, Kaminsky, and Dario. And those are already having real tangible benefits, even if they're not going to be the best three-point shooting team, the best rebounding team, they're not going to be the worst either. And it's going to keep them closer in games. Uh, It's going to keep them deep into games like we saw in the first half tonight, where even if the shot isn't falling in the first half, you play defense and you get out on the break, you're still going to be able to stay in the game if you're rebounding. Uh, and if you hit the occasional shot yeah i agree with that and you know thinking about dario saric and uh, frank kaminsky the one thing i will say difference between those two guys is uh, and i don't know if this is something that's going to continue but sorry frank kaminsky seems to be a guy that's around the rim on offense a lot and is capable of scoring on offensive rebounds it's dario saric uh, is commonly not really around the rim offensively and we'll see if this is a trend that 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 still is like this going forward but uh, Frank Kaminsky I think if he's not hitting his three-point shot which he had none in this game uh, he's still capable of finding buckets other ways Um, and Dario Saric I I don't know how much that's going to be the same for him 
uh, as Frank Kaminsky, and I, I think they're both going to be capable of it. But I just I just find that Frank Kaminsky kind of is one of those guys that likes to hang around, and he's really tall. Uh, for right. the record, he's the tallest guy on the team. We found out with the new heights that were released. Frank Kaminsky is the tallest, probably close to the highest standing reach. Uh, as well, I would guess. So it makes sense that he's a kind of around the rim hunting those offensive rebounds, and he's kind of a center, as we talked about mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it makes sense he's down there as well compared to Dario, who's really a power forward uh, at his core. Uh, but I do want to talk about Devin Booker uh, a little bit more. I was so impressed with Devin Booker in this game because he did not force anything. And I mean that both offensively and defensively. He was not gambling on offense, meaning taking shots over two different guys or trying to draw fouls unnecessarily, although I would like him to draw more fouls in the future. He was not gambling for steals on defense. And the thing that drives me nuts with Devin Booker's defense, I know you already know, is his ball watching off the ball. And with this team particularly, they will kill you if you're doing that because Buddy Heald is lights out from three. And even though Buddy Heald absolutely killed us in the first half, Devin Booker's effort on defense in the second half was one of the main reasons the Suns took control of this game in the third quarter and then finished them off in the fourth quarter I was so impressed with him and if this is the type of effort we can expect of him going forward when he doesn't have to carry as big of a role offensively he's capable of putting this kind of effort in defensively this team is going to be a lot harder to beat I was incredibly impressed so was I um but we're gonna see over the next week and a half uh, a huge test for him and the entire team to see if they can keep it up because just to bring up the schedule with what you were talking about, you know, the the way that Buddy Heald plays, we've got the Nuggets on the schedule, then the Clippers, yeah. the Jazz, and then the Warriors. So you go into the Nuggets, you've got Jamal Murray and Gary Harris to worry about if you're if you're ball watching. You've got the Clippers with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, obviously. Patrick Beverly is a good yeah. shooter now as well. You've got the Jazz with phenomenal shooting in uh, Mike Conley, Bogdanovich, and Joe Ingles. Uh, And and then obviously the Warriors (laughs) are the Warriors. So this team is not going to catch a break. If Devin Booker is going to be ball watching in any of the next several games for the Suns, which are all going to be really tough games, it's going to be instantly apparent to us. Absolutely. So I guess we'll just see. We'll see if this really sticks. I hope it does, because this was, like I said earlier, maybe his most disciplined game ever. Maybe his best. I don't know if it was his best defensive game ever, but I just think him combined with Aiton so much positive energy between the two of those guys. Yeah, and I think with the Nuggets particularly, they probably have more back cuts, backdoor cuts than any team because their point guard is seven feet tall (laughs) with Jokic, and he's a guy that can catch the ball 18 to 20 feet away from the basket and find guys cutting all over the court uh, from all different angles. And so you have to be disciplined to play the Denver Nuggets. The Denver Nuggets have a chance to be the best team uh, in the West this season record-wise. Uh, in the playoffs, that's a different story, but we'll we'll talk about that when we get there. But they're going to be a very good team, and they essentially brought back the entire team that they had last year. So going into this game on Friday, the Suns have to be even more disciplined than they were against the Kings because they're better, and they're one of the best offensive teams in the NBA. And that means Devin Booker has to play as well he did as well as he did in the second half for the entire game. And I know him and Jamal Murray have kind of a thing where they, you know, they they went to the same college, but they don't seem to like each other that much. Uh, so I think he's going to be motivated there. But also to that point, uh, DeAndre Ayton absolutely got murdered by Jokic the first time they played <laughs> last season. He played a little better in the few other times they played as the season progressed. He had that 24-point quarter against the Nuggets, but we were down by 10 basically that entire time. And DeAndre in, in this game was, first of all, I thought he understood where he needed to be on defense better than he has maybe the entire time that he's played. But his willingness to take contact is something that he has to continue to do uh, against that Nuggets team. Do you have any other thoughts? DeAndre Ayton was also incredible offensively. We didn't really talk about that. We're finding him in the right places uh, and scored a lot of points, 18 points in this game. Uh, what are your thoughts on DeAndre Ayton? Well, he yeah, he continues to do everything well offensively that we already knew he could do well. 
Um, he's he's very good in the pick and roll. I guess maybe that's where I would start. The one thing about guys like Frank and Dario is when this team comes off of, I talk about how a lot of those offensive sets, especially with the starting lineup, seem to be initiated by um, things like dribble handoffs. And when you're coming off dribble handoffs, a lot of the times it seems like the goal is to get open spot-up shooters with those bigs like Dario and Frank and uh, Aaron Baines uh, on the on the wing. But what you kind of lose is some of the actual role man gravity, uh, except for DeAndre Aiden. He's like the one exception on this roster where guys were trying to find him rolling to the basket. And he's really the one guy on this roster who carries that entire load for everybody else because Dario Saric is not a fantastic pick and roll man. Neither is Frank. So, I, you know, I just thought Aiden was really good in that aspect. Um, in the post, right. he was good as well. It's going to be really hard for him to play Jokic because Jokic, if we're being honest, has to be one of the most physically demanding matchups uh, in right. the NBA at any position because he's just so much weight. Uh, first of all, if he wants to post you up, he's fluid enough that he can shoot over you. Uh, you have to be constantly vigilant watching passing lanes, which is obviously one of the things that DeAndre Aiden has struggled with in the past uh, when you're guarding a guy like Jokic. So it's going to be a huge test for him. And I wonder if we're going to get as committed of a defensive performance from him against Jokic, how much energy that actually leaves for DeAndre Ayton to also have a good game on offense against Denver. Right. Um, but it's look, it's just going to be a challenge. If DeAndre Ayton wants to be among the elite centers in the NBA, then he's got to play like it, and he's got to have good performances against arguably the best center in the NBA these days. I do know what you mean about DeAndre Ayton having, uh, needing to have energy for offense, but I will say... He didn't really have to create a single bucket for himself in this game other than just screening and rolling hard uh, consistently because guys were finding him in, in easy positions to score uh, and his 9 for 14 field goal percentage really shows that. Um, not to say that he won't need to do that against the Nuggets, but it was nice to see uh, a game with DeAndre Ayton where uh, he didn't really have to fight and battle <laughs> to get uh, position or really I don't know that he scored a single time on the post up I, I can't think of a single time um uh, I'd have to go back game. and I'd have to go back and review the tape I thought maybe there was one where he does one of those like signature he doesn't even really post up it's just kind of like a post touch and then immediate fadeaway mid-range yeah. jumper I thought he did one of those ones but I could be wrong uh but yeah, yeah I guess he did he did have one in the first half something like uh, that from like like 12 feet uh not not too uh deep but yeah I don't think he dribbled <laughs> a single no. time yeah even, no even on to, that to one. your point it's it's a good point he didn't really dribble um so yeah so did his offense really look that much different than the way Igor used him I don't think well, so guys I, I don't well really I think, think the so. main thing is that we have more than one player that's able to find him in exactly easy positions to exactly score. exactly but that kind of comes back to now, this probably won't be a very popular opinion, especially on the night where Igor Kokoshkov is an assistant coach for the Kings and we blew out the Kings by 30. Um, but was it the coaching or was it the personnel? The Suns improved their personnel. So yeah. clearly they're a better team now. Um, well, but to, to what extent did Monty make a difference offensively for the Suns versus what Igor was running last year? I'm not ready to say that there's a huge difference yet. But it's yes, kind of hard defense. to... Yeah, but... Defense you know, is <laughs> defense is hard at the NBA level, right? Because it's so effort based. <laughs> yes, a yes. That's coaching, right? So I guess, I guess there's so many variables that we can't realistically trace for in stats. But I was going to say it's not only effort based, but it's also situational, uh, depending yes. on your opponent. So we just need a larger sample size. We need to see the Suns play teams, more teams like the Kings, to see if they can keep up what they did tonight. And we need yeah. to see them play some slow, grind it down teams and see if they can, you know, change up their style and, and effectively play defense against those teams as well. And if they can play effective defense against everyone, then yeah, I mean, I guess a lot, a lot of that credit goes to Monty because on paper, this is not a good defensive team. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there is an element to like Devin Booker offensively in this game was trusting his teammates in a way that he didn't in the last two seasons uh, because his teammates are better. And I think that you're it, like there was times it, where Devin Booker was playing last season where I did not want him to trust his teammates. I wanted him to take on the double team and try yeah. and score because <laughs> I wasn't confident in his teammates. And you can imagine how he felt. So obviously he was more um, willing to trust his teammates in this game, and I think that's what led to him having such an excellent game, even though the scoring didn't really start until the fourth quarter, and he only ended up with 22 points, which is significantly less than his average last year. 
But I also think there is an element of that on defense where uh, why am I going to try if we're just going to get killed by the end of this game, right? There's, there's, yeah. And maybe that's a subconscious thing sometimes, and maybe it's fully conscious for some players, like Trevor Ariza, for example. Uh, but I think that even having better players affects a defense too individually for guys like Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton as well. When they're more confident that they're going to win the game at the end of the game, maybe they're going to try a little harder on defense. So I think you're right, but I do think that I don't want to take any of the credit away from Monty because uh, just getting guys to play defense is hard at any level of basketball. So, uh, you know, I just want to give him some credit for this game. And obviously, as you guys all know, we're going to see how much this translates into future games. The next game is Friday against Denver, and then there is a game on Sunday against the Clippers. I haven't asked you this, Sam, but do you want to record after that Clippers game? Sure. All right, let's record uh, yeah, after what, that, so that game on Sunday. Yeah, that'll be two more games from now. Two yeah, more this games. Is more, this is more of like an emergency episode anyway. I know we're running on 45 minutes now, but uh, it wasn't meant to be like a full-length episode. Yeah. <laughs> it was just a lot to talk about. And uh, you know what you were talking about uh, just a second ago with Devin Booker not trusting his teammates? I just wanted to quickly point out, did you see that one play early on in the game where Booker kind of draws out a couple of defenders near the baseline, and then he has an open pocket pass to Dario Saric? Uh, who he eventually gives the ball to, but but he like hesitates for a few seconds. Yeah, and Dario drops in an easy layup. I was almost wondering at the time, is that like you know PTSD incurred <laughs> by like having to pass to Dragon Bender in that situation, <laughs> and like and and Booker yeah. thinking in the past, you know what, maybe I just rise over the top of two guys because that's the better option than passing to right. my open teammates. Right. Yeah, Dragon Bender or you know even Josh Jackson on the cut and you know just getting an offensive foul. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're probably right. It'll take a little time to shake off those bad habits, but uh, they can't really afford it. I think at least, well, probably in the next two games. The next two games are two of the best teams in the West, which makes them two of the best teams in the NBA. Denver on Friday, Jokic, Clippers on. Saturday, I should say. We'll record on Sunday, I should say. Saturday is the game. So they have a back-to-back, too. So Denver, Jesus. Friday, Clippers, Saturday. Yeah, that's going to be rough. And we'll record on Sunday. We'll be back Monday morning with that episode recapping those two games. And uh, wow, that's going to be a rough uh, a rough schedule here. And hopefully we have at least one win to talk about from those games. It's hard to predict what this team's going to be like. So many new pieces. Uh, but we'll talk to you guys again on Monday. So much tough competition. I ain't gonna lie, these questions you're asking is frustrating, brother. Yeah, I mean, but is it is it it's not not something you worry about? No, bro. I'm, trouble. I'm worrying about everybody in this gym, everybody in this arena, everybody in this city, man. I'm not worried about nobody else. So, individually, our houses are weak, but together, we can dominate the West as house kings, sons. <laughs> right. It's just the name King Sons. It's awkward. What about Sun Kings? Okay, fine. From here on, we're House Sun Kings. Okay, we're the Sun Kings. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.